Well, hey everyone, this is Athena and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll answer publishing questions from our listeners. So hey, Let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am here today with one of my all-time favorite sisters, Heidi McLaughlin, author of Restless for More. And on the second half of the episode, you're going to meet a Redemption Press author, Maureen Hagar. So first, before I give a proper introduction, welcome to the All Things Podcast, Heidi. It's great to have you on today. Athena, you can't imagine what a joy it is for me to be on here with you. As I said earlier, I have you all to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is fun, fun, fun. I love this. And uh, we don't get enough time, even when we're at conferences together. We don't get enough just you and me time. So this is good. Yeah. So let me just give a proper introduction. So those who are listening today uh, know um, just a little bit of your background. Heidi McLaughlin believes that there is nothing more beautiful than a woman who knows she is loved. Heidi's passion is contagious as she inspires her audiences to grasp their magnificence and step up to the plate to embrace their full potential in Christ. She will make you laugh, she will make you cry, but you will know that you have lovingly been challenged to your highest calling. Heidi speaks all over North America and overseas, including Poland, Romania, and Colombia. She has been teaching, speaking, writing, and mentoring women for 29 years. She is an award-winning author and has written several books and study guides and hundreds of articles and blogs. She is working on her next book called Irresistible Joy. Heidi lives in the beautiful vineyards of the Okanagan Valley in Kelowna. Did I say that right? Kelowna. Kelowna, (laughs) British Columbia. Heidi has been widowed twice and is the mom and stepmom of a blended family of five children and 12 grandchildren. You don't look old enough to have 12 grandchildren, just saying. Thank you. (laughs) Her greatest joy is spending time with family and friends, laughing and experiencing new adventures. In the summer, you will probably find her chasing a white ball down the many beautiful fairways in the Okanagan Valley. Heidi has experienced much tragedy, but has also learned how to recapture her joy. So Heidi, this is such a delight. Um, Yes, I would love, before we dive in and talk Mm -hmm. about um, just some of the, um, just depth of what you've written about and and your story, uh, just your life story that is just so 
incredibly rich. Um, I would love for you to just pick one. I know we all have many Romans 828 stories in your life and just share that with us so our listeners can just get a peek into who you are. Well, you said that I, we talked about joy and you mentioned joy and that is my end result of everything. And you wonder with the Romans 828 story, what I've experienced the last 28 years, how I can have joy and even write a book on irresistible joy. Very quickly, my first husband died two weeks before Christmas in 1994, playing basketball, a sport he loved, he was passionate about. I remarried a Pastor Jack, the love of my life, the love of my life. I had 21 of the best years with him. And in, in 2009, he was diagnosed with gallbladder cancer, but God answered our prayer. We, we asked for complete healing. Gallbladder cancer isn't always curable. Mm. And the surgeon gave us one to three years and he was completely healed. God completely answered our prayer. So hallelujah, right? Those are the things we want. We want answered prayer. Yeah. And then on November the 11th, 2016, my beloved Jack went into the kitchen for a cup of coffee. He dropped. Uh, while I was doing CPR on him, he took his last breath. Wow. But the paramedics came and they revived him. They brought back a heartbeat, but that's all it was, was a heartbeat. And he died five days later. Now, while he was in those five days ICU, Athena, we had thousands of people around the world, literally thousands of people praying for his complete healing and for him to just come back and be the Jack we all love. But he didn't. So God answered my prayer the first time for Jack's healing for gallbladder cancer. But then God did not answer my prayer to have my beloved come back after his heart attack. So how, how does God work all these things together for good? I've experienced enough tragedy in my life to realize that there is an upper story that God's upper story is grander than my story. And there's a beginning and an end to his. And the end of his upper story is always that we would live our very best life. Mm. And he says in John 16, he doesn't hide it. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And so trouble is all part of life. Is it painful? Oh my goodness, it is so painful. But realizing that and looking to God to realize that he does through all of our suffering work out the most precious things in our life like you know silver being refined and rising to the top and through all of that he works out our very best life and i can tell you i have joy today after all the tragedy and there's other things in my life that have happened that i don't even want to go into and i can say i have joy not because of my circumstances, but because I have him and he does work everything out for good if we let him. Yes. Yes. And, you know, where most people would say how, you know, that just doesn't even make sense that you could have joy after those kinds of devastating losses. But see, that's the amazing thing about our God is he can work that and that is working good. And people are seeing that in you and going, whoa, what do you have that I don't have? Yeah. Mm. And it is, but, it, but it's a process. It doesn't just show up, Athena. 
It's right. a process. It's a deliberate, intentional process. And, you know, it, it's a while to explain that. It doesn't just say, you know, I've gone through all the suffering and now I want joy. We have to pursue it intentionally. We have to pursue him. Mm. We have to learn to trust him. We have to learn that his promises are yes and am. And that we have to lean into him every day. And that was difficult. It wasn't always easy because as you, you know my story, three months after Jack died, I was diagnosed with PTSD. Mm. And that's completely understandable. Completely. But. Yeah, I know. I know. And it makes us think, well, you know, do you not have enough faith? Is your spiritual life not strong enough? But my, my father also died of Lou Gehrig's disease, also called uh, amyloidical trophic. Oh, I can't even say it. Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. Yes. And my mom died of myodiplasia. So there was a lot of things in my life. And the therapist actually told me that all of those tragedies in my life literally took over my body. Mm. And my trauma became a super highway that literally flattened me. I had nothing, like, there's nothing I could do to change that. It literally just flattened me. And so then you have to just start from the ground up. You have to start back from ground zero to work your way back up again. And I was not going to be the PTSD poster child. (laughs) (laughs) And I love how God has, really has, um, enabled you to have the joy So you're the joy poster child instead of the PTSD poster child. But the thing about PTSD that so many people don't understand is PTSD is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Mm -hmm. Having all that loss, Mm -hmm. you know, that, and and so traumatic like that, that's not normal. And so, you know, it, it... we have to also give ourselves some grace when we struggle with things like post-traumatic stress, critical incident stress, all of those, you know, it's, God is trying to get us to slow down so he really can do that healing work in us, I think. Absolutely. And Athena, it doesn't mean that we're weak. It doesn't mean that we don't have confidence in God. It just says your body says, okay, you're done. Yep. You're done. Flattens you out. You have to learn how to, how to get back up and to be an overcomer. And then, but all along, the whole way, my ultimate goal was always to, again, find that joy. Mm. And I just thought, okay, I found it again after my first husband, you know, being married the second time and having the love of your life, you know, it's pretty easy to have joy in there, right? Right. And, but then I thought this time, will I find joy again? But I was determined. I was going to figure out how to have it again, because you know, I'm an extrovert. You're an extrovert. We need to have that. I wasn't going to let life crush me. Mm. So, okay. So after having been widowed twice, Mm -hmm. you have a large family, but none of those family members live in your home city. So how do you go from being at being not only an ex, extrovert, but being all alone to not feeling lonely? How, how did that happen? About three months after Jack died, I was sitting by myself in the living room and I was just sobbing. Those were, there was two wing chairs there. We used to pray there every morning. 
and he wasn't in the other wing chair. It was snowing outside. I saw the barbecue covered in snow, thinking he's never going to cook on that barbecue again. He's never going to sit in that, in that chair again. And all of a sudden, that loneliness just came upon me. If, if you've ever experienced loneliness, it is crushing. Mm. It is dark. And it scared me. And I thought, Heidi, you will not be a lonely person. You can't live this way. And so I remember sitting there and making a determined choice at that point, Heidi, you will not be a lonely person. But it, it doesn't just happen. We have to learn how to not be lonely. And that, that, that's not always easy. That's hard. We want the world to come in and make it all better for us, don't we? We want somebody to come and fix it and make it all better. But actually, we're the ones that have to go out. We're the ones I had to reconnect with, uh, you know, to facilitate a Bible study, to reconnect with my golf groups, to get out there and get into community where God has created us for community and we're not meant to be alone. Right. And that's where that loneliness is just crushing. So actually, this is probably not the answer you want to hear, but we have to go out there and make that happen. It's an intentional. Yeah. Because the enemy would love to keep you isolated. Yes. And keep you buried in that. And become bitter and lonely and life will just crush you. And so I determined that morning as I was sitting there, I will not be that lonely widow. And so what is it going to take to make that happen? And my life now, even though I still live alone, I still have no children here, but I have a rich life. I have friends. I have community. I have tribes. I have golfing groups, even with Zoom. There's yeah. still so much going on and I need that so much. Yeah. You yeah. understand that, don't you? I do. I do. Yeah. So what has God taught you from all of your suffering? He has taught me several things, but you know, through the refining process, we have to let God teach us something. Mm, yep. Otherwise it's just wasted pain. Yep. And here's an interesting point is I never, in all the spiritual gift testings I've done, the gift of mercy has never come up. It's been, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I get that. <laughs> okay, Athena, it never has. I've had other gifts of teaching, administration, hospitality, wisdom, faith, but never mercy. And then about a year ago, we did another spiritual assessment and my goodness, the gift of mercy was at the top of my spiritual gift. Wow. Athena, that's God because he yeah. has softened my heart yeah. towards other people. He has given me a heart of compassion so deeply. He has tried to make me an unselfish person to just give generously, just to be generous with all that I have, because that's the heart of God. Mm. He wants me, he wants me to be kinder because everybody's going through a hard time. So through all my suffering, I see the world through a different set of lenses. Yeah. I have learned to love deeper, less judgmental, less self-righteous. God help me every step of the way. But just to be open to be the way that God wants us to be. And through all of that, God has taught me, Heidi, learn to be content wherever you are at. Mm. So it is through all of that, God does his greatest work again, working all things together for good, right? Yes. 
Mm. So you have just written a book on joy, which is yes. going to be released this fall. Yes. So how, I, and I think you may have already really answered this. Uh, the question is, how is it possible to have joy in the midst of pain and grief? Do you have anything to add to that? I do actually, thank you for asking. Because for me, and I've left, I'm glad you asked this now because I wanted to leave this to the end because this has been my most powerful tool. Excuse me, I just had a little weep and a tear is running down my eye here. <laughs> the most powerful tool that I have had through all of this, and it is so simple, is when Jack was diagnosed with gallbladder cancer in 2009, God took me through the Bible and showed me that the greatest thing that I could do in the midst of my circumstances is to be thankful. Mm -hmm. And that was the hardest thing for me to learn because everything at that, that 2009, the whole year fell apart. That was only one of the things. And I brought out a journal. I bought a journal and I began to write thankful items and I numbered them. I write number one, you know, just one-liners, don't make it anything big, just one-liners. And then I began to write in that gratitude journal, and I realized that gratitude changes our hearts in the midst of circumstances. And the verse that became so life-giving for me, and it still is, is Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, mm. never stop praying. Give thanks in all circumstances for that's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And Athena, when it says in the Bible, this is God's will for us, there's something there. There's a nugget there, right? Yep. And so I've been writing in my thankful journal since 2009. I'm at number 6,300 and something. I forget what the number was this morning. And I am going to 10,000 reasons to praise God. Yep. And it is when I sit with my gratitude journal and I give thanks to him, that to me is the pathway to contentment and joy because it changes my, it doesn't change my circumstance. It changes my perspective. I set my eyes higher to God's view than not my view. It changes everything. I even, I mean, and I've never really studied to see if it's scientific, but I, I have to believe that when we do that, the chemicals in our brain change. It is actually scientific, and I've recorded that scientific evidence in my book on Thanksgiving. Literally, the chemicals in our brain change. Uh, there's, there's good chemicals that flow through our body. It keeps us healthier. It keeps us mm -hmm. stronger. It keeps us vibrant. And best of all, it makes us content, and it gives us joy. <laughs> How about, I, so, so simple, right? So, yep. so simple, and yet so powerful. Profound profound so covid came and all your speaking at conferences and yep. traveling for 2020 as did mine went up in smoke gone so how did you cope during isolation or how are you i mean it's still happening <laughs> it's still happening actually the first the first couple of weeks it was like oh my gosh because with my personality no this cannot be happening this is not for real people are blowing this out of proportion let's just get back on with life and then i realized this was really happening and so i i decided i was going to do some things to you know have a valuable something valuable to look at afterwards so i decided to help uh, my daughter homeschool through Zoom, grandchildren, teach them German and do some Bible studies. Uh, I am part of a Women Together team in Canada where we did morning gatherings for an hour on praise and prayer. And I still um, taught Grief Share online and 
distant walked with a lot of my tribes, which was just life giving for me. And there were some days when, you know, I'd get up in the morning and go to bed and I had not been out of the house. And that was not, that was not good as a lot of us have done. So I made an, I made a point of trying to get out of the house every day Mm. and yeah, staying connected somehow. Yes. Yes. I mean, Zoom definitely has been, and Facebook, you know, groups. And I mean, that has been a great way, but you're right. Getting out of the house and just opening yeah. up your perspective, even if it's just walk around the block. Yes, it is. And I remember two months into COVID, I hadn't had a hug in two months and I hadn't even realized it. And I met a friend somewhere, we were volunteering way out where there was nobody else there. And I got out of my car and she got out of hers and she, we looked both ways and she says, come here, I'm gonna hug you. <laughs> and she hugged me and she squeezed me. And Athena and I wept. Yeah. I wept because I hadn't been hugged for two months and it was so wonderful. Wow. We need that so much. Yes, 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 we do. So um, what is one practical thing that helped you to get through your deep grief? I think you've are, I mean, one of obviously the the thankfulness journal. Yes. But is there another? Yes. Another? Yes. And this is very practical. And it, I mean, if I'm going to say it, you're going to go, well, yeah, Heidi. But for me, when you're in grief, grief, you forget the practical things. You're so deep in your own world. I remember my stepdaughter, Janice, they came for, for a while when I was going through PTSD, my children had to come a week at a time to come and take care of me. And when she was here, she's a doctor. And she said, this simple sentence, Heidi, everything in life is temporary. Of course, I knew that the seasons come and they go, you know, houses burn down, you build them back up. Everything in life is temporary. But in that moment, that is what I needed to hear. That everything in life is temporary. And it was like, this is going to end. This is not forever. This is something I am going through because it says in Psalm 23, he goes with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And all of a sudden I was, I was not stuck in my grief. I was just going through it. And that just changed everything. Mm. And it gave life back into my soul to know that, no, I'm not stuck here. You're going through this and you need to go through this well. And this too shall pass. Yes, there you go. Another cliche. Yes. And they're, and they're <laughs> true. They're true. Exactly. It helps you see the silver lining and see the light at the end of the tunnel and just know, <laughs> yeah. okay, yes, this is hard. This is hard. This but is hard. teach me what you want to teach me, Lord. Yes. Yeah. And yes, all those cliches. I forgot about those. But you know, they're a cliche because they're true. They work. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So that was, that was good to know that everything in life is temporary. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So um, we're about to, to bring this to a close. So in closing, I would just love for you to share a couple tips or tools that will help our listeners really keep a grasp on the fact that God is working everything together for good, even though it doesn't look like it. Yeah. Even though we can't feel it, even though we can't see it, what has has been something that has helped you that can help others and just kind of 
wrap this baby up with something that is, I mean, it's already been so good and so rich and you've given us so much, uh, so many tips already, but I'm yeah. going to ask you for another one. Yes. Is get to know God better. Mm. Get to know him because you know, in order for us to trust God, you have to get to know the person. And for me to trust you or anybody, I got to get to know you. I got to know your characteristics. And in Romans 15, 13, he says, he, God is a God of hope. Mm. He's not, hope isn't this mystical thing. Hope isn't this wishing something would get better. He's a God of hope. He is a person who we need to get to know. We need to get his, learn his promises. And who is, who is this God of hope? Who is this heavenly father? Who is this person? Because when I get to trust him and when I get to know he's got a better plan for my life, he's got a Romans 8.28 plan for my life, then I can get through it because I've learned who it is that said that. Yeah. I've gotten to know him. And all of his promises, over 3,000 of them through Christ are now yes and hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And, and just, that, yeah, yeah that trust factor. It's yes. when you get to know him, then you can trust him more. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But we have to get to know him, to read the Bible, to read books, to pray, and to learn to trust him in the little things so that when the bigger things come along, you already know the one who's the writer of your story and he's writing a good story. Mm. We need to let him do that. Amen. It's a good story. No matter what tragedy comes our way, it's always for the best ending. Amen. Amen. So if we have some listeners today who want, just want to connect with you, want to know more about you, where, what's the best place for them to find you on social media or online? Yes. Social media, Facebook. I have an author page, Heidi McLaughlin, Christian author, or my personal timeline, Heidi McLaughlin, my website, heartconnection.ca blogs on there sign up for my newsletter i love to connect with people and my audience as you've probably been able to tell i'm a connector and i love that connection thank you athena you are well wonderful i uh this has just been um my favorite part of the day because boy this was uh we just I just love being around you and uh, this has been a delight and thank you so much for taking time to spend a little bit of time to pour into our all things podcast audience and um, just blessings on you as you continue to finish your book and uh, just go on that journey of uh, speaking that truth uh, in however you know, whatever platforms you're able to do it on. If you can't travel, it's going to be God will yeah. you know, <laughs> give us all sorts of creative ways yeah. to do that. So God bless your ministry and just continue on to do the good work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share my story and to share some truths of what God has done in my life. Hopefully it will help someone else along the journey. Thank you so much, my friend. Oh, you bet. It has been my joy. In May, God gave me a vision of a movement. He gave me the name She Writes for Him, and I knew it would start as a book compilation, then a podcast, and finally a conference. Well, here we are a year later, 
and she writes for him Stories of Resilient Faith, launched on May 12th, featuring Carol Kent, Tammy Trent, and Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, along with 27 brave women who shared their hard stories of abortion, depression, betrayal, loss, and shame, and declared how God worked redemption in their lives. The second edition is finalizing submissions, and best-selling author Liz Curtis-Higgs leads the lineup of contributors sharing on suffering, cancer, mental health, addictions, and spiritual abuse, for she writes for him stories of living hope. This very podcast launched in February of this year, declaring the faithfulness of God in working all things together for good. And when we had to cancel our in-person She Writes for Him writing retreat in April, we hosted the first 21-day She Writes for Him boot camp online and helped take 40-plus women from concept to manuscript blueprint through 90-minute interactive virtual workshops, daily writing tips, and multiple coaching sessions. As the pandemic continued to interrupt our spring and summer conference plans, God birthed the conference I knew would be, but had no idea it would look like this. A virtual conference with three full days and 33 plus publishing professionals found 400 hungry attendees waiting and ravishing in the wisdom and the love that was poured out through the presenters. We've rescheduled the retreat for this September and still have a few slots open, and another boot camp is scheduled for October. And we've initiated the She Writes For Him Tribe, a monthly membership online where you can learn your writing craft, network, grow, and have a safe place to develop your voice with other sisters who love the Lord. Join the many women finding their writing identity through the She Writes For Him movement at SheWritesForHim.com. Well, we are back for the second half with Redemption Press author Maureen Hager, And we will be hearing about her incredible Romans 8.28 story. So Maureen, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you, Athena. It's great to be here. Yeah. Well, let me go ahead and give you a proper introduction for those who are listening. Maureen Hager is an author, inspirational speaker, and blogger. Her book, Love's Bullet, A Wounded Victim in a Biker Gang War Transformed by God's Love, recounts her misguided search for love and acceptance that lured her into the life of an outlaw motorcycle gang. Caught up in a violent gang war, she suffered two gunshot wounds from M16 rifles when a rival gang opened fire on the clubhouse. While severely wounded, the act of violence was a catalyst for God to work in her life and gave her a way to escape from her captivity. After suffering physical, emotional, and spiritual trauma, Maureen heard the gospel and gave her heart to the Lord, and her road to a restored life began. 
As a survivor and an overcomer, Maureen's passion lies in empowering others to receive hope, healing, and restoration from their brokenness through God's transforming love and grace. Her testimony of deliverance shows the depth of God's redemptive love for those who seek him. She's an advocate for anti-human trafficking awareness and mentors girls who have been victims and other at-risk teens. Maureen is living a restored life with her husband, Tom, in Western North Carolina. They enjoy spending time with their two grown daughters and their lively grandchildren. And here are just a few facts that I think uh, give us a little extra insight. Um, Maureen is not sure how many surgeries she's had to date, but in the last seven years, at least 18 surgeries. Last year was particularly challenging with seven operations. She's had numerous joint replacements, has survived breast cancer. After the shooting, she contracted hepatitis C from a tainted blood transfusion and years later was cured when a new drug was released. She's had orthopedic issues and challenges that will most likely follow her the rest of her days on earth, but thank goodness not in eternity. Heaven is her real home and for her forever home, and Jesus waits there for her. No walkers or canes. She's going to be able to walk, run, and dance in his presence. What a glorious existence it will be. So... I'll tell you, you, you know, normally I ask my uh, guests to share a Romans 828 story before we jump into their book and digging into the book, but gosh, I think these are one and the same. <laughs> so uh, I would just love for you to share your Romans 828 story in the context of your book, Love's Bullet. Well, you did uh, cover quite a few of the points of Romans 8.28. And of course, everyone loves that uh, scripture. Uh, but my story begins out of brokenness. And it was um, while I was recovering from all this trauma, uh, eventually I did come to know the Lord. And it was soon after that, as I was studying the Bible, that I came across Romans 8.28. Hmm. That was an anchor of hope. Because, hmm. you know, during the time I was in the hospital, I basically was chained to my hospital bed while I was trying to repair my bones. Um, I, I kept thinking to myself, God was punishing me. Why am I living? Did I want to live? I wasn't sure because there was so much, so much pain, uh, just, you know, constant pain and challenges. But um, when I did read that, oh my gosh, it was just hope just came, uh, came so strongly to me mm. and I believed it. I wasn't sure how God was going to give me the life that I longed for. But I trusted him with mm. that would. And you know, there was just many connections along the way that um, showed me that was the truth. Um, but the biggest thing, I think, is the reason that I first got involved in a biker gang 
was that I just was longing, deeply longing for a family. My family had broken up. My mother had left us and um, it was a deep hurt. And I was like, what do I do now? And so, you know, it was a misguided search, but I was searching and I found this biker gang through a friend. And to me, they were everything I was looking for. They told me I'd be their family, mm. um, there'd be a lot of excitement. And of course I was doing drugs at the time and they had plenty of drugs. And so, you know, I thought I had found my answer, but uh, very quickly, very quickly, I learned that uh, this was not what I thought it would be. And I couldn't escape. I was part of this group. I couldn't escape. And so um, that was the, the next step is how was I going to get out of here? And what happened was the shooting made the way. Wow. So, so longing in your heart to escape right. before the shooting happened. Yes, yes. Wow. Well, God answered that. I mean, isn't that amazing how, even though you weren't saved yet, God right. answered that prayer by orchestrating something that seemed bad and really in many ways was bad, but he sure. used it for his purposes. Right, right. Well, and, you know, before the shooting, I, we weren't supposed to turn any lights on in the um, clubhouse and I couldn't find any matches. And just, I thought in my mind, just for one second, I'm going to flip that switch and find the matches. Well, in that one second, I was a silhouette in the light. Uh, uh, I mean, it was a perfect target. But what I don't understand, well, I understand because it's a Romans 8, 28 um, thing is that the light switch was towards my right and it was with my left arm that I put it over and I, I flipped the switch on with my left hand, which really made no sense. But by doing that, it blocked my heart because they were aiming for my heart. Whoa. When, you know, that's the first thing I felt. My arm, forearm was like on fire and um, had, you know, had God not done that, I, I would have been dead instantly. And I certainly would rather limp into heaven, than, <laughs> you know, just yep. dead uh, without the uh, without the Savior. So, wow. So, so unpack a little bit about because people don't usually end up in a biker gang if they had a healthy family of origin and you know so tell us a little bit about what kind of set you up for that uh, well, my you know as i said my mother I, I was the oldest of three children and my mother left uh she just got to the point uh and we didn't know we came home from school one day and my dad said you know she was gone and she wasn't coming back well that was like a dagger in my heart. I mean, she never said anything to any of us. She mm. just left and it was, you know, she had it all planned out. And so it was a really deep hurt. And um, with me being the oldest, I, I felt like, you know, my dad thought I was should take over some of these 
responsibilities and I wasn't into that at um, you know 14 years old so I had a, rebe a rebellious heart was you know developing there right. and um, you know I, I just really I would look at my friends and see that they were part of a family and I remember just longingly uh, looking at them and studying their family and I didn't have that. I mean, it, it just was very disjointed. Uh, everybody kind of did their own thing at the house and there wasn't a lot of uh, love or, um, uh, or like emotions. Emotions were, you know, nobody ever talked about that. Mm. Oh, you know, I was looking for that. I, I wanted, everyone wants acceptance and love in their life. Exactly. Exactly. So then how did you get involved? I mean, people don't just like go find a biker gang and say, hey, I, I want to join. How, how did that happen? Well, I had a friend that I had met in college and um, she's, she was working at a body shop and a lot of the bikers would come in there for repairs on their bikes. And so she, it was really her. She said, oh, you're going to love this and this group. So, you know, one night I went with her to a meeting and next thing I knew, uh, I walked out as a part, a part of them and became uh, my ex-husband, became uh, uh, his property. Mm. So it, it, you know, I didn't really set out to do that, but right. it was, you know, misguided. And so, yeah, that's, uh, they're not capable of being a family. Right. But that's, so that's where you met your husband, your ex now, but you met him, he was in the gang. And he was in the gang. Wow. And I just, I don't know, he had this charismatic personality and I just, I was all in once I met him. Mm. So now you've already given us a bit of a description of that fateful night. Was there anything else about how it happened that we need to hear to, to understand? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, gangs are very protective of their territory and uh, wasn't from that area. We had come in from New York and I basically walked into a gang war. And the first thing that I did when we walked through the door of the clubhouse was there was a bloodied biker laying on the couch who had been just stabbed uh, from his neck down to his chest and across. And I mean, I looked at him and I thought, what did I get myself into? Because I didn't know we were going into a gang war. Um, but yeah, six nights later, I was the next victim. Wow. So give us kind of paint the picture of the physical, emotional, and spiritual trauma that you suffered. Oh. Well, I can tell you it was horrible. <laughs> sure. Um, it was six months of, I was in three different hospitals for a total of six months. And um, 
I could have lost my leg, but my doctor saved it. But I woke up, uh, you know, it was, it, the pain was just tremendous. And when I uh, woke up in the um, um, uh, intensive care, you know, my doctor told me I'd have another surgery and that I might lose my leg, <laughs> like, you know. And then, but from there, he saved it. But then from there, I went and I was in traction where they put pins in your knees and your leg is elevated. And um, that didn't work. You know, you have to remember, this was back in 1977. So right, I think right, all this right. would have happened today. But then as if that wasn't bad enough, after that I went into a full body cast. And I mean, that was just plaster. I just lay there in a cocoon of plaster. And that, that was awful, and that lasted another two months. And then, you know, finally, none of these were putting uh, the bones back together. So finally, I went and had um, a bone graft taken from my hip and inserted in my leg. And that, that did uh, fuse the bones together, but it left my leg two inches shorter and I, could, and I could never bend it again. And the doctor never mentioned that to me. So, yeah. Cause uh, you know, I didn't, he wasn't my original doctor. So I don't think he was really invested in, in me. And it was like, let's just get her out of here. Mm. And I was alone a lot during that time. I was at my hometown and I was alone and suffered quite a bit and uh, just, try to get through each day. So what, tell, I mean, just describe, because with all that time to think. Yeah. I mean, were you able to kind of look at, kind of, and look, look back at what happened? Or were you so full of, you know, painkillers and stuff that you were just kind of. Edging out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I that was the word I was going to use. <laughs> well, like I did definitely have a lot of that, but at one point I did realize that everything that had happened was a result of this search, this just, you know, no love, no acceptance. And um, I really felt very alone. And I was alone in the hospital. Uh, I had no family. Once in a while, one of the bikers would come and see me, but I, I was alone. And fortunately, I had some very good nurses that cared about me. Mm. Um, and then I did have uh, three, three nurses that cleaned my room. And I was sleeping the first time I met them, and they were singing the Psalms. Oh, okay. I still have my Gideon's Bible, which probably shouldn't have taken, but I took it. And it, he, she, wrote, she wrote down different Psalms for me to memorize. Mm. And, you know, I kept saying, well, I don't, this isn't for, the Bible's not for me. You know, I thought church and Jesus, that was all for righteous people. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I wasn't one of them. But that was, looking back, I see that that was the start of um, the Lord softening my heart. Hmm. So to, for him to place those angels in your room, yeah. those nurses yeah. that loved him, yeah. to just start planting those seeds, I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. 
So um, I'm going to go back to another question that sure. I meant to ask you earlier, and this is a probably a good time to ask you. So the title of your book is Love's Bullet. What's the meaning of that title? Okay. Um, well, the meaning is, is that that shooting, it was the catalyst for me to get away from the gang. I mean, I had no idea. You don't just up and leave, you know, and plus I was, you know, married to this guy. And um, so I had no idea how I was going to get out of there. But I, you know, I was constantly looking around for a way, but there was no way. And so that's why I called it Love's Bullet, because it's God's provision mm. of getting me out of there. As, you know, as crazy as it may sound, and certainly would have not picked that way <laughs> on my own. Right. But, um, it was. It was, the, the, it was my escape. Mm. I love that. I never, I mean, the whole time that, and it's been a while since we published, what, maybe three or four years ago? Um, All right. Two, two, three. Yeah. Two okay. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I don't think I got the significance of the title. Right. So that's, right. that's powerful that, yeah. you know, he would rescue you with a bullet that, you know, practically destroyed your body. Yes, yes. But that was and your redemption. Believe, yeah, I do believe that that is the title the Lord clearly gave me for the book. Mm. I probably wouldn't have even thought about it. <laughs> right, right. So how do these events that you've, that have transpired since, you know, 30 some years ago, right? How, how did they bring you to where you are today? Well, as a result of uh, trying to get my life back together, I went back to college and that's where I saw uh, Tom sitting uh, in two of the classes we had together. And um, we were drawn to each other because we were older students. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it didn't take very long before you know, we were seeing each other regularly. And you know, and eventually got married. And he's he couldn't be more different in a good way mm -hmm. <laughs> um, than Vigo, my previous husband. He's very kind. He accepts me how I am, and he's there through all all the physical changes and things I've gone through. I mean, he's just such a blessing and definitely a gift from God. And then we have two daughters, uh, which uh, are now have two, I have two grandchildren. Mm. You know, those are all the things, that deep longing in my heart for a family. And God gave me my own family. Mm. I, I didn't see that coming. because right. I, I didn't know. I was in the hospital for so long and I was recovering. And I had no idea where, what was going to happen next. What am I going to do? But I... Just put, you know, one, one thing in front of the other and God put up those uh, meetings. <laughs> so I'm well, grateful. Yeah. And, you know, you've got the flesh and blood family, but you've also got these girls that you're mentoring. I mean, you've got some spiritual children yes. that yes. God has used that dramatic 
amazing story of redemption for you to be able to reach out to them and, and just be his hands and feet and love on them and let them see who he is. Right. Right. Cause I get their attention when they know I was in this biker gang. Right. Right. I don't know what they think about it, but it's, well, they it's can't right thinking. <laughs> well, and they can't in their mind go, oh, she wouldn't understand what I've, you know, I mean, yeah, you pretty much yeah. covered that. So yeah. golly. <laughs> okay. So in closing, I would love sure. to have you share a few tips or tools mm-hmm. to help our listeners zero in on how God continues to work all things together for good, even when we can't see him, even when we can't feel him. Yes, yes. Well, you know, so so many times the most uh, devastating circumstances in our lives create the opportunity for God to reach into that pit mm-hmm. of uh, despair and pull us out of our brokenness. And I mean, that is the depth of God's redeeming love. You know, there's nothing that any one of us are ever going to do that's going to be so awful that God's going to turn his back on us. He, I mean, he's reaching out and that always amazes me that, you know, in our, our sin and rebellion and all he's waiting, he's just waiting for us. His hand is outstretched. Um, but brokenness is a reality for all of us. And, um, I think to say you're not too broken and your past does not define you and you can be whole again, but um, you know, you have to be able to surrender your feelings of guilt and shame. And I mean, God knows all about it. You need to surrender that to him. And also one of the big things is to forgive. Mm-hmm. Um, God commands us to forgive. So, I mean, it's a constant, conscious choice is not a feeling and uh, it's uh you know i think what what helped me quite a bit was i really asked god show me this offending person and there was quite a few of them and let me see how you see them mm. and that helped me so much and you know writing my book a lot of <laughs> i had a lot a lot of healing um, uh, during the time, but um, writing my book, a lot of triggers came back to me. And I mean, there were days when I thought I had gone past all of that and I was still there, but you know, that's okay because you know, it doesn't matter if it takes a a lifetime (laughs) of truly, truly forgiving. He just, he wants you to start today, you know, put your heart to forgive those who hurt you because you can't hold that bitterness and pain in your heart you you know and if you know who you are in christ how could you how could you do that and you know that's where i think a lot of people believe a lie and you know oftentimes the lies we believe are not the same as what god has said about us and so that's really important to know who you are in Christ. Know the promises that he's given us. There's so many of them. There's right. so many promises. So just grab a hold of them and 
you know, he, he, he's faithful. Amen. And to be faithful. Amen. 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 And, and the other thing on the forgiveness thing is to understand, you know, just because you make a choice to forgive that person doesn't mean you're going to make them your best friend or you're going to no. invite them back into your life so they can continue to abuse you. That's right. not the said trust and forgiveness are two different things. And I think right. the enemy uses that lie against us to keep us from forgiving. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, there's, you need to forgive. Uh, you make that conscious. It doesn't mean that what that person did was okay. Exactly. No. And yeah, oftentimes it is best to sever ties with, uh, with those who have offended you. I mean, why would you go back for more? Exactly. But, but, some, but the, there have been, uh, I mean, I've seen people in ministry uh, get, you know, kind of people who are under the influence of an abuser or someone mm -hmm. that's really toxic, you know, they just you know, encourage them to just forgive and go back into that relationship. Right. So just a very glib understanding of yes. what, what Christ would expect of us. Right. I mean, and I've seen that too, because, you know, he gives us so many chances. Uh, maybe, you know, it's, it's a lie to think, well, I can give them one more chance, but most of the time they haven't changed. Right. Exactly. So we, you know, trust has to be earned. Forgiveness yes. doesn't have to be earned. And yes. that's, that's the key. And we can't not, we can't refuse to forgive because we don't trust the person. Right, right. And that's where we can get confused and think they're both mm -hmm. the same thing. Yep, I agree with you totally. That trust, to me, trust and respect always went hand in hand. And once I lost respect, the trust was followed right after that. Yep. Yep. Well, this has just been delightful. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today. If some women are listening and they want to connect with you, what is the best place to find you on social media or online? Um, well, my website is maureenhager.com and my blog is outofthebrokenness.com and that will give you all my social media connections and probably all, all that you're looking for. Uh, you know, I'd love to connect with anyone. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's just been a delight. Thank you, Athena. You bet. So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful. Or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as, you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week.